If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 1 John chapter 3. We'll begin reading with verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? May we pray. Father, we pray that you'll bless the word to our hearts and souls. May the Holy Spirit apply it. May we grow in grace and knowledge of Christ and learn to love Him more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is tremendous epistle, the epistle of John. I know Ephesians having a great effect on Brother Davis. He's going through Ephesians. And the first epistle of John is really touching my heart as I study it. And at times you can read and you reading words, and sometimes you read it, and the Holy Spirit will just speak to your heart and speak to your soul. Those are precious moments. As we look into the text, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And the word hateth there is in the present tense. Active voice. It, can, it in, indicates continuous action. The individual who continually is hating his brother is a murderer in his heart. This reference is not to someone who is caught in a surge of hatred toward someone, but rather to someone who is has a continuous habit harboring hatred toward someone. An individual who is continually hating another person to the point of murder. He does not love, but he continually is active in hating. Murder is in the heart before it's in the hand. Cain hated Abel before he ever killed him. Murder began in the heart. Sin always begins in the heart. When sin is conceived, it bringeth forth death, bringeth forth sin. So, beloved, these are the things we have to remember. The word murder literally means man killer. It occurs in the New Testament only here and in John 8, 44, where Jesus describes the devil as a murderer from the beginning. Satan revealed his murderous spirit in the beginning of human history by leading even Adam into sin, into destruction, rebelling against the word of God. Hatred and murder belong to the realm dominated by Satan. Jesus said in John 8, 44, You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is the liar and the father of it. So we see at the very beginning, John is describing the characteristics of people who are continually hating one another. It's not of God. In the next section, he says, 
in the same verse. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now, it doesn't mean if you commit a murder that you you don't have eternal life because you know that David committed murder and adultery, but God forgave him. But it wasn't a continuous murder of hatred and murder. It was a one-time act. And it said the sword of the Lord never departed from his house. So what we're seeing here is that there's times that we, we go to war. That's murder. But the government is the one who sends us forth. There's times you may have to protect your home, your property, your children, your wife from someone who's breaking in. You may have to murder that individual, kill that individual. You have the right to do that. But what John is talking about, he's talking about the vicious hatred to the very point of killing someone, taking their life and this continuous attitude of hatred toward an individual. That person, he says, does not have eternal life abiding in them. And this is where you have to keep the distinction. He says, and you know, O day. This word know means to gain knowledge by instructions rather than by experience. By reading the Word of God, God says that a murderer has not eternal life. You gain knowledge from that. You know that truth. That's absolute truth. You don't have to experience you've read the Word of God. God said it. That settles it, whether we believe it or not. God says murderers who habitually hate someone and habitually want to kill someone, the the love of God, and, 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 and they're not indwelled with the love of God. You know this because God says so. He says, he reminds this readers, his readers, that they already have been taught and know this truth. That murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. And what is murder? It's lawlessness. What is sin? It's lawlessness. What do we see in our nation today? Lawlessness. No regard for the law, no regard for God, no regard for any rule at all. It's a sign of their, the world is in the domain and dominion of Satan. They're under his control. He's the prince and power of the air of this world. He's the God of this world. Small g. No murderer hath eternal life abiding in him in the sense of habitual hatred and murder. He says in verse 16, 1 John 3, 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I was reading this a week ago when I was studying this, and I read those words, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. When I read that, he laid down his life for us. The Holy Spirit just softened my heart and humbled my heart, gave me a broken spirit to realize what a blessing it was, Brother Dave, for the Lord to lay down his life for me. Think about that. Jesus, he laid it down willingly, freely in our place, in our stead. When the Holy Spirit... Applied that to my soul. What a blessing. I had such a blessing of remorse, such a blessing of gratitude, so thankful for the love of my Lord that he laid down his life on my behalf. 
Beloved, that's what I mean. We need the Holy Spirit to take the things of God and apply them to our soul. And when I say heart, I mean the innermost being of our soul. That's what God touches. Perceive is in the perfect tense. It's something that we we learn in the past. It's having the present results in our lives. We still are experiencing what? The love of God. The love of God. We're going to get into this as we continue going. The love of God is one of the greatest subjects in the Bible. And once you see how much God loves you, it can change your life and transform your life. This is something you need to listen to very attentively. Because we all need to be touched by the love of God. All of us need to realize we are all have sinned and we come short of the glory of God. And oh, the thought that Jesus loved me, as we're going to see as we get into this message. Cain has been given as the supreme example of hate. He hated Abel. Christ is presented as a supreme example of love. One side you see hate, the other side you see love. Christ's love is self-sacrifice. True love always gives itself, self-sacrificing. And the theme of 1 John in this section, if we love someone, we should be sacrificing ourselves for that individual if there's a need. And we will be getting in this in this week in the following time I preach upon the subject. And a good scriptures for the for this, for the cross as an example of humility and forbearance. Philippians 2, 5 and 8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself a no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. He took upon a human body as a servant so he could die in our place and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. For who? For you and I. He came obedient. He was manifest in time. For who? For you and I. He loved us with such love. And Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 19 through 23, For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when we buffet it for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hitherto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps. You will know who to follow? You follow the Lord. And the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And Brother Dave and Brother Roger and myself, we can say the same thing to you. Follow us as long as we're following Christ. When we cease to follow Christ, you can cease to follow us. But as long as we follow Christ, follow our example. Who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. Who when he reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Oh, beloved, to follow the example of Jesus Christ is such a, is such a blessing. This knowledge the readers had gained by experience, by contemplation, and still impacting their lives. You never lose the sight of God's love. 
I'll repeat that. You never lose sight of God's love. Your heart will always be looking to God's love. What do you need? Mercy. You look to the love of God for mercy. When you need help, you look to the love of God for help. We're always looking to God who loves us with an everlasting love. And in this case, the knowledge came by what they had learned about the life and death of Jesus. John is saying that knowledge of love is found in Christ Jesus' sacrifice. You want to see love? Look at Calvary. You want to see love? Look at the crucifixion. There you see true love. Then we come down to verse 16, the next section. Because he laid down his life for us. Oh, beloved, may this truth get a hold of us this morning. He laid down his life for his assembly. He laid down his life for his sheep. He laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for me. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Have you ever taken that step where you have given yourself to the Lord. He's first. Until you answer that question, all that you do in the name of religion has no effect. You can come to church every Sunday. You can be here every time the door is open. You can read the Scriptures. But what is it that really counts? Have you given yourself to the Lord? Paul said to the Lord on the, on he on the road of Damascus, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Have you ever asked the Lord that in your life? This is what's serious. This is the one thing that's needful in your life. If you've never come to that, this place in your life, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Have you given yourselves to the Lord? And then you give yourselves to the church and to the people of God and to the family of God. But the first thing, you must give yourselves to the Lord. Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Therefore, everything he said before in Romans all the way up to to chapter 12, he said, therefore, because of all the things Christ has done for us, therefore... Brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, yield your bodies a living sacrifice. Yield yourself. This is saying the same thing he said in the verse before. First they gave themselves to the Lord. We need to give our bodies to the Lord. Give ourselves to the Lord. A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He's done so much for you and I. Isn't it logical that we should return, give ourselves to him? In return. And he goes on to say, and be not conformed to this world. That's why James, I mean, that's why John is teaching in 1 John, love not the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Love not the world. It's not of, it's not of the Father. It's of Satan. But be you transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. It's the Word of God that renews your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. He renews our mind as we read the Word. We hear it preached. The Holy Spirit can renew our mind to think correctly and to follow the Lord. That you may prove what is that good 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. The only way we can do that is by walking according to God's word. The Lord said, this is the way walk you in it. That's the, that's the only way we can find the perfect will of God. But first of all, you need to ask yourself the question, have I given myself totally to the Lord? Totally to the Lord. In the book of Revelation, it shows how they overcame Satan. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says, And they overcame him, talking about the devil, by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, beloved, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And by the word of their testimony, the word of their testimony, they would not, they would not deny Jesus. They were bold. They would confess Christ, even if it meant death. And they went on to say, and they loved not their lives unto death. They were willing to lay down their life for the one who laid down his life for them. Have we reached that point in our maturity? How can we lay down our life, getting ahead of myself a little bit, for each other if we can't lay down our life for for the Lord? The reason the church is as cold as it is, is because we are not fully giving ourselves to the Lord, who's the head of the church. The main thing we're to be concerned with in our lives, am I walking with the Lord? Is there anything in my life I need to confess to my Lord? Am I cold and lukewarm? I need to confess it and turn from it. Is there something in my life that's pleasing to God? I need to forsake it, confess it, and and forsake it. That I can maintain my fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and be touched by the Word when I hear it, when I read it, and when it's preached. And they love not their lives unto death. Oh, beloved, I know it's only by the grace of God we can come to that point in our lives. It shows how we depend on the Holy Spirit. We ought to do this as the definite Christian obligation because we belong to Christ, just as we ought to follow His example in all things and walk even as He walked. As He says, John says in 1 John 2, 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. This is your and my obligation. This is not something you can do or not do. Take it or leave it. This is our obligation as born-again believers, the children of God, as His sheep. And Him being our Lord, we're to walk even as He walked. What What does all of this mean? It means to obey the Lord is to love the Lord. It's easy for any of us to sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. And as we're going to see Father Ron, it's easy to say, oh, Brother Dave, I love you, brother, and just go on. And we're going to see if someone has a need, there's more to it than just saying, I love you. It goes a little farther than that. We'll see as we get into this, next the next sermon. But the main thing we're dealing with this morning, how are you standing with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is He your Lord? Have you and I given ourselves totally to the Lord? By the grace of God, of course, by the grace of God. It says in John 14, 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Do you love the Lord? Then you're keeping his commandments. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. There's a special manifestation of Jesus to us 
when we love Him and follow Him. Verse 23 says, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. If you love the Lord truly, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, you will by the grace of God keep the words of Jesus Christ. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Can you? What a blessing that is, Brother Dave. God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit will come and make their abode with us, in us. Jesus said, I'll send you another comforter, talking about the Holy Spirit, that He'll abide with you forever. And He also is teaching here that the Father and I also will abide with you, and we will be a maker of abode with you and in you. Oh, beloved. No wonder John said in the previous verse, Greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. And this is where it comes down to. Luke 14.33 says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Are you willing to forsake all for Jesus Christ? That's a big question for all of us. Now that's where Satan would test you. The moment you make a commitment to follow Christ, here comes the devil to test your allegiance to Christ. Why does he tempt us? He's tempting us and testing us to see if we are committed to the Lord. Or is it just lip service? And that's where we're tested, all of us. There's no, there's no exemption from being tested. Not Dave, Dave is tested, Roger is tested, I'm tested. Each one of you are tested. We are all are tested in certain areas in our life. Jesus said in verse 46 of chapter 6, Luke, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Now you're going to have to come to a conclusion in your life. Either you're going to do what Christ says, or you're going to do what you want to do, but you can't call Jesus Lord. Unless you're obeying Him, yielding to Him, in reality and practically, you're serving yourself and you're not serving the Lord. And I don't care if it's Brother Rhodes or Brother Dave or Roger or you. The truth is the truth. You have to be honest with yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Paul said in Romans 14, 9, For this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that He might be Lord both of the dead and living. He's the Lord of all the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he says in verse 8, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. Beloved, remember that. You belong to the Lord. I belong to the Lord. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you owe Him your allegiance. I owe Him my allegiance. What was the price he paid? It was his life and blood, the price. He bought us. He bought us. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you are bought with a price. Think about that for a moment. I was bought, you were bought with a price from sin, from, from slavery. We were redeemed, not with silver and gold as we're going to see, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, therefore, 
Therefore, glorify God. Why? Because you've been bought with a price. In your body, yes, your body belongs to God. Paul says your body is not made for fornication, but for the Lord. Sin's got to go, beloved, if you're going to be yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to come first. And in your spirit, these 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 attitudes of jealousy and hatred and malice and envious and all those things have got to go. You've got to surrender to the Lord, which are God's. Your body belongs to God, your spirit belongs to God, and you belong to God. We are God's property. That's why we don't have the right to live any way we want. So grace is not cheap. Oh, people say, if I believe like the primitive Baptist, I can live any way I want. No, you, no, no. Grace will lead you to godliness, not ungodliness. Paul said the grace of God that appeared to all men is teaching us to denying ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly and godly win in this present world, not in the one to come, in this present world. Now are you to live godly. And he brings out in 1 Peter verses 1, chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or manner of life received by tradition from your fathers. But notice this, but with the precious blood of Christ, the God-man, God manifested in human flesh on Calvary, shed His blood was crucified, was mocked, bore the wrath of God, bought us with His precious blood and redeemed us out of the slave market. Oh, no wonder we should be thankful, Brother Day. We should be thankful. Of a lamb without blemish and without spot, there was no sin in the Lord. There was no... Nothing to blemish him. But all it says in Second Corinthians 5 that all our sin was imputed to Christ. He was made sin for us. Made sin. He took on him our sins. And Peter said, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. Whose sins? Our sins. That's why we need to love him so. That's why we need to dedicate ourselves to him. Yes, the Christian life is a battle. The lust of the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. But beloved, if you get knocked down, get back up and say, Lord, forgive me and keep going forward. Paul said, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. You may get knocked down many times in your Christian life, but you can get back up and the blood of Christ is still cleansing you from all sin. You can say, forgive me, Lord, for falling here. And the Lord will give you the strength to keep on keeping on for His glory. It shows that without Him we're nothing. Failure is an absence of strength. And when we're not walking with the Lord, it's nothing but failure because we cannot overcome the enemy, the world, the devil, the flesh without His help. We are, we are dependent, totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit and upon the Lord. It says, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. He was foreordained to be crucified. For who? For God's people. For the sheep. For you that are believers. And He was manifested in time to die in our place. 
Peter says in 1 Peter, who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were a sheep going astray, but now are returned. Oh, you've returned to the shepherd. Returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Aren't you glad that you've returned to the Lord? We were dead in trespasses and sins. Dave mentioned last Sunday when he's going through uh, a few scriptures in Ephesians 2. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But oh, beloved, we have returned unto the great shepherd of the sheep and the bishop of our souls. Our souls have been redeemed by his offering his soul a sacrifice for you and I. Oh, we should love him so. And as we get down to this, we see this is what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And he said in Galatians 2.20, Who loved me? Notice this. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Who lives in you as a Christian? Christ lives in you. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Beloved, can you say that? Is Paul said it. Who loved me and gave himself for me? That makes it personal. You're not saying he loved the world. That don't make it personal. You ha- Paul said, who loved me, Paul? You can put your name in there if you're really a believer in Jesus Christ. And gave himself. He laid aside his life and like you would lay off a garment and he died for you and me. Oh, what a blessed Savior we have. And then looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul says, now this was Paul's, he always kept this in front of his eyes. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul kept his eyes on a crucified Savior constantly. Constantly. That's why I gave him the will and to do. To keep sacrificing his own life for the cause of Christ. Because he kept his eye on Christ at Calvary. Laying down his life. He was willing to lay down his life for the Savior. And I was with you in in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power. Beloved, it's not how I speak these words this morning that's going to touch your heart. It's how the Holy Spirit takes these words and applies them to your heart, to your soul, and melts your heart and gives you a conviction. Oh, how I need to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Who love me. And dying gave himself for me. That your faith should not stand in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's the power of God that's going to change your life, not the wisdom of me, not the wisdom of a preacher. Oh, beloved. And because of these things, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ constraineth me, us, constrains us, As we see the love of Christ, it constrains you and I to be obedient to the Lord, to follow the Lord. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me in this life. 
There's some teach that oh, it only means that the sheep follow him in heaven, to heaven. They don't have to follow him in this world. That's a lie of the devil. We hear the Lord now, and we're present tense hearing his voice. We're present tense following him. To say otherwise is to deny the word of God. I believe God. Let God be true and every man a liar. For the love of Christ constrained us. As we've seen above, we must lay down our lives to our Lord so we can lay down our lives to each other if needed. Now, why should I lay down my life for Brother Dave if I won't lay down my life for my Lord? You see why it's so important to put the Lord first? They first gave themselves to the Lord and then unto us. For me to love Dave correctly, I've got to love the Lord correctly. For our church to walk together in harmony, we all of us have got to be in subjection to the head, Jesus Christ. Then we can love each other correctly and we walk together in one spirit and in harmony. What a blessing that is. He says in 1 John 3.16, and, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And just as, as if God's love for us is so great, we ought also to love one another, as it says in 1 John 4.11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And I'll say this, I have a lot of growing to do in this area. I need to grow in this area. I need to learn, grow to love you. Be willing to sacrifice my needs for your needs. And you as members of the same congregation assembly, we each one need to be willing to lay down our lives one for another. Now that's, you know, Peter bragged up and said, Lord, I'll die for you. And the Lord told him, you'll deny me thrice. And he did. So we don't want to say this in a bragging sense, but we say by the grace of God, I pray that I'll have the grace of God to lay down my life if needed for a brother or sister in the Lord. Now that's where the Christianity becomes a reality. Now in the past you see that happen in a lot of in the past history. Christians lay down their lives to help others. Love is positive, seeks the other person's good, and leads to activity for him, even to the point of self Sacrifice. Now most of us will never have to face that. But love is tested beside just laying down your life as we're going to see. That's the extreme. That's the point we should be willing to go to. But there's other points as we're going to see in the balance of this sermon and the next sermon we preach. To lay down denotes the supreme act of self-sacrifice which Christians love if necessary, should be willing to go, namely, the willingness to surrender our lives for the brethren on their behalf. And I pray that we never be tested in that area. But I do believe if we are ever tested in that area, God will give us the grace to do it. He'll give us the grace to do it. Love is positive, seeks the person's good, even to the point of self-sacrifice. Remember that. Now as we look at this word lay down, we lay down our life for one another, also to one another. 
The word hyper there indicates that Christ laid down his life for our benefit on our behalf. It also implies substitution. He died in our place. The word for his sheep, the word for there is the Greek word hyper, which means in our stead, in our place. He died in our place. When he died on the cross, he died for you. He died in your place just as though you was crucified. That's how real this is, beloved. He was your substitute. He was your surety. He died as you were there in him for you and I. As you look at that, Paul says, oh, that love constrains us to follow the Lord, to obey the Lord, to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, and to love one another as God loved us. I'll give you a couple of examples of this word, how it's used. In John 10, 11, notice, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for, that word for there means hyper, Greek, the sheep. And the words, in their stead, in their place, I give my life. And in verse, uh, that was verse 11. In verse 15, he says, and the father knoweth me, even so I know I the father. I lay down my life for, again, in the place of, in the stead of the sheep. He was our substitute, a substitution, substitutionary death. He died in our place. John 10, 17 and 18, he said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. In the words, he laid down his life freely. He wasn't forced to do it. He willingly did it. He laid down his life. Oh, beloved. You can say, why are we going free? Because we had a substitute. Where's my sins? They've been buried in the depth of the sea. They've been washed in the blood of Jesus. He bore our sins in His body on the tree, never to be remembered against us again legally. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 1 John 3.17 says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shut up with his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now we're coming down to where we really live. John is very searching in his word. But whoso hath this world's good, hath is present tense. It refers to someone means of subsistence. Material goods or property. So in this passage, having the world's good is not bad, but what one does with them is the issue. There's nothing wrong with being rich, but it's what you do with the riches that matters to God. He said, lay up treasures in heaven, not on the earth. And it goes on to say, and he see his brother have need. John's point is that the brother of means is very much aware of the needs. He sees his brother having needs week from week. He sees his brother have needs. He sees it over time and he personally noted it. He cannot claim to be unaware of it and the need continues to exist in his presence. But it says he shuts up his bowels of compassion from him. 
In other words, although he sees there's a need, he needs could need clothing, he can need food, he can need something physically, but this individual says, no, I'm looking the other way, I'm not going to help this individual. He shuts off, he just closes the door like you'd say. People come to your door, knock on the door, to slam the door to, he closed out his compassion. And God says, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now all of us, as individuals and as churches, may at times be tested in this area. And says, some have entertained angels unaware. Now, each one individually has to give account to God. If there's a need and you can meet that need, I don't mean that we are that we are to go around feeding the poor all over the world. No, I don't mean that. But if someone lives in your neighborhood and you know that they're in need and have no food and the kids are going hungry, we should feel obligated to do something about that. If we could, if we have the means. See, it comes back to the means. If you don't have the means, you're not obligated. But if you have the means, you have that laid up, and you can help an individual, by the grace of God, we need to help that individual. This is Christianity. This is walking like Christ walked. And remember, in the early days, beginning of the early days of the church, the members gave from their possessions to meet the needs of their fellow saints. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, it says, And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now today we're not doing that. The church is not at that state, but at the beginning of the church, this is the way the Holy Spirit used the individuals to carry on the gospel. And then 32 through 37, it says, And the multitudes of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they all had things common. And it says, And when great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all, neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the price to the thing of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which in being interpreted as sons of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it down at the apostles' feet. Paul collected money from the churches to carry to Jerusalem to help the impoverished churches there. Oh, beloved, we see the Spirit in the beginning of willing to help the needs of others. What a blessing that is to have that Spirit. The picture involves a deliberate contrast. Both have something. The later has a personal need and the former has the personal means to meet that need. Why John is saying if a person has the means to meet that need and doesn't, how dwells the love of God in that individual? And that's a question we all have to ask each other. Sympathy goes a long way, beloved. Sympathy goes a long way. He shut up of his bowels of compassion. His self-centered interest leads him to shut out any consideration of the needs of his brother. 
It means literally to lock a door, a gate. Here it is used figuratively to depict his action. The deliberate action of a barrier between himself and the brother so that he, the sympathetic action cannot flow to him. In other words, he's going to, he's not going to show any sympathy toward this individual. He determined no. And John asked the question, how can God's love dwell such an individual who is so selfish? John insists that the command to love the Lord thy God cannot be separated from the command to love thy neighbors thyself. Matthew 22, 35 through 40. Who who professes a love to God while refusing to express love toward his unfortunate brother, though a compassionate sharing of his own means, discredits his claim and subjects himself to the charge of hypocrisy. In John, 1 John 4.20 it says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, continually hating his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? First John 4, 20. Beloved, God's word is very searching, Brother Dave. We need to be, have a loving spirit. That's what John is saying. Isn't it love that's the, the greatest of faith, hope, and love? And what's the greatest of them all? Love. And if you have not love, Paul said you're like a sounding brass and a tickling cymbal. It amounts to nothing. Love is the key to Christianity. Love is the evidence of being born again. Love is the evidence that we love the Lord when we put the Lord first in everything. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And to put Him first. The main question this morning I want all of us to ask ourselves. Am I wholly committed to the Lord? Am I willing to deny those things that would hinder my fellowship with God? We all have to ask ourselves that question. And for those that you know who are not walking with the Lord, pray for them. Pray for them. And let's pray for each other. May we pray. Our gracious, loving Father, we thank you for thy word and testimony. Lord, as we look at these truths, we realize how short we all come. Paul said, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed, lest he fall. We all come short of the glory of God. We all need to confess our sins and forsake our sins and to follow Christ more with all our heart and soul. Father, we need to keep our eyes on the crucified Savior, up the Lord, and pray that the Holy Spirit apply His love to our heart and draw us to obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. Lord, we don't want to obey you because we have to, but we will obey you because we love you. And we pray for that love to be shed abroad in our hearts more and more by the Holy Spirit. Bless us now, Father, as we go our different ways. We thank you for this morning. Pray that you be those that are sick and afflicted in body. And may you give us grace for this week. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Anyone have a song in closing?